Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I'd like to talk to you about your legacy, what you want to be known for, and more importantly, what will God call or say uh, to you and about you. In England, throughout most of its history, there were very clear delineations between not only classes, but between those within the British royal hierarchy. You'd start with the king and queen, and even though technically they were emperor and empress, Queen Victoria was crowned empress of India in 1877. And underneath them, you have the prince and princesses and uh, the offspring of the king and queen, and then it kind of goes down from there. You have the duke, uh, earl, uh, baron, knight, esquire, and then we get down to gentlemen and uh, lady. Now, I have to be uh, transparent. I, I did uh, want a title at, at one time. I went to school to uh, to try to change the mister to, to doctor, but uh, I'm still mister. I'm still mister, but but times have changed, and there's something else that I desire versus being called Dr. Ashley, and I'll share that with you at the end. Maybe uh, you desire that, that same title or those same words. So would you not agree that all these titles and legacies are impressive? Duke, being called a Duke, or Prince of Saudi Arabia. Now, I think all of those pale in comparison to being called the friend of God. Just think about that for a moment. The friend of God. And Chase, thank you for the reading. Really appreciate that. Now, how do you define friend? See, I had to look it up because the definition of friend kind of changes a little bit. Um, Oxford defines friend as a person whom one knows, with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, a member of a religious society of friends, a Quaker, a contact associated with a social network uh, website. Uh, we're going to stick with the first definition, the primary, because with the social media friends, I mean, I see requests for friends and on other social media sites. And um, I think really the appropriate term would be acquaintance, because I think they're more of an acquaintance than a friend. Definition of an acquaintance is a person's knowledge or experience of something, a person one knows slightly, but who is not a close friend. Because sometimes when I see the name pop up, I'm like, I wonder, do I really? I'm going to go ahead and accept, but I, do I really? So that's not the type of friend we're talking about here. Now, we have a biblical definition of friend, and that's going to be in John chapter 15 and verse 14. Jesus defines friend. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of from my father I have made known to you. Made known to you. So we see that that's a characteristic of a friend, knowing what the game plan is. You know what the plan is. You're on one accord. And therefore, you can walk together and be in agreement. 
And we see that there's a difference between servant and friend. The servant doesn't know what's going on, has no idea where the friend does. Now, in addition to revealing his will, is there anything else that Jesus does for his friends? Now, Mike shared with us in his message, and I think the title was The Love of God. Mike shared with us that Jesus sacrifices for his friends. He doesn't just call them friends. He doesn't just let them in on the game plan. There's a sacrifice that's involved. And in John chapter 15 and verse 13, we find greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, being a service member, a retired uh, service member, I can't help but think about Memorial Day, where that's a day set aside where the nation honors those who have paid the ultimate price. And that doesn't compare to what Jesus paid. And I'd, I'd like to draw your attention to that. And I think Paul does uh, as well. Paul shares with us a huge difference between Jesus' sacrifice of paying the ultimate price and a service member paying, paying the ultimate price. And we see that here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, where it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, notice I underlined when we were enemies. Now, I don't know of a service person or member who dies willingly and intentionally for the enemy. That's what's different. And those enemies were us. We were the enemy. And he died for us when and while we were enemies so that we could become friends. So I thought this, I'm, I'm, I plan to talk about friends, but I thought Bringing enemy in kind of actually brings some perspective, if you will. So we're going to talk about enemy a little bit. Now, James defines enemy in James chapter 4 and verse 4. He gives us a little bit of insight. There we see adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So just in case you didn't know how to become an enemy of God, here's, here's the plan. This is, how you, this is how you can do it, if you're interested. And then Paul also gives us some insight on, on enemy as well in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So to be overly concerned with the things of the world, that's another way to become enemy, an enemy of God and not concerned with what he 
has for you to do and his will for you. Now, Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. Now, in the introduction, I mentioned a number of different titles and all those titles, like I said, they pale in comparison to being called the friend of God. Um, very lofty title. Um, so I thought it would be worth our attention and our time to try to dig into that a little bit more to see what does that entail. Now, James shares with the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad and the Christians everywhere that Abraham is called the friend of God. In James chapter 2 and verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. But not just James, we see in Second Chronicles as well. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Now, I couldn't help when I read that last part to think about BFF. And for those who are not into the acronyms and stuff, that's best friend forever. And I'm wondering, did that come from here? Because let's see, Abraham, your friend forever. And then Isaiah, which we're going to be studying, we find in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Hopefully, uh, there's no doubt that Abraham is this person that we're talking about when we say friend of God. Hopefully, there's no doubt there. So what are the qualities? If, if you were applying for this job, if it was a position that God had open, what qualities would you need on your resume in order to get this title? For one, we know that Abraham... Uh, believes God and trusts God's uh, promises. And we see that in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So full of full of promise. I see a number of promises for one. Um, it's consistent with John chapter 15 and verse 15 about knowing God's will. God kind of rolling back the scroll and letting Abraham know, hey, this is what's going on. I will do this. I'm going to do this. Hasn't happened yet, but this is what's going to happen. And then those promises don't just reside there with Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with a family because Abraham, he didn't have any children at that point. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. I'm not just going to bless you a little bit. I'm going to bless you a, a lot of bit uh, I'm, with greatness. And then those who bless you, I'm going to extend that blessing to them as well. So it's going to spread out to them. But those who curse you, the same thing. 
I'm going to spread that out to them as well. And then I'm not just going to bless you and your generation, but those after you. Because of you, I'm going to bless them. So to me, that's just full of blessings. And that last one, I think we can kind of take part in because we're after Abraham. We're the descendants. We're feeling some of those blessings. And in verse four, it says, so Abraham departed and the Lord, as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed and ran. So. God told him about these promises. And with him departing, he acted on what he was told. A lot of times we hear the truth and that's as far as it goes. Yep, that's the truth. Amen. But I'm not going to do anything. I just heard it. That's it. But Abraham, we see, is not that way. So that's a quality of him. Once God speaks to him, he acts on what he was told. I'm just wondering how many times. Because I don't think Abraham fully understand, understood everything. God just gave him a glimpse. Hey, this, this, is, this is just a little bit of what's going on. I just wonder how many times when we lack understanding, we can't figure out exactly how God's going to do it. I'm like, well, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. I, I, I need you to give me more. You got, you got to tell me more than that. I can't, I can't go off just that. You asking me to leave, just pack up everything, and that's all you're going to tell me right there? Now, you're going to have to circle back. You're going to have to circle back with some more information. So how many times we already see that there's a difference between some of us and Abraham. With just a little bit of information, Abraham's already acting on what God told him. I think for some of us, God could lay the whole thing out. We're like, well, I don't really see how that's going. I don't really see how that's going to pan out. However, though, in Proverbs, it tells us trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. So a lot of times our understanding can be a stumbling block. We don't need to understand what God's doing and how he's doing it. We just need to understand what he wants us to do. That's the only part we really need to understand. So in addition to those promises, God continues to treat Abraham as a friend and not as a servant. Because we said earlier that Jesus said that the difference between the servant and the friend is that the friend knows what the master's up to, right? So we're going to see if that plays out here. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? I think right there that kind of lets the cat out of the bag because he's saying, you know, should I keep it from him? No, look, that's right. He's my friend. So I don't treat my friends that way. I treat my, I let my friends in on what's going to go down. So in verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So God shares the plan with them. Let them know what's, what's going on. Now, I was just wondering, is that just for Abraham? Because I was wondering if what if what if I read my Bible a little bit more? What if I studied more? What if I prayed more? What if I practice what God is sharing with me 
more. And I was faithful. Would he not let me see the plan too? Is that just for Abraham? I don't think so. I think that's for all of us. But Abraham had that relation. See, because Abraham just got a little bit of information and he's gone. Hey, I got you, God. I trust you. I know you got it. So not only uh, does Abraham know God's will and what the plan is, it's a reciprocal relationship. God knows Abraham, his past, his present and his future. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 18. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. See, that's another quality of Abraham. See, he's not just trusting God and acting on God's word. He teaches all those behind him, his family, his household. So it's not just him. He's like in the military, we would call it a force multiplier. So everything he touches, whoever he talks to, he's a force multiplier. Now, I wonder, you know, if we're trying to get this title, you know, we're applying for this job on our resume. What if we did that? And, and are we doing that? Are we teaching our family what God would have for us to do? Are we teaching our household? Are we teaching all those whose paths we cross about God? Well, that's what Abraham does. That's a quality of the friend of God. And I would have to say, collectively, we are not. We're not doing that. I saw here this piece of research. It said, and it's from the Pew Research Center. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In the Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults described themselves as Christian. When asked about their religion, this is down 12 percent. Over the past decade, meanwhile, the religious unaffiliated share of the population consists of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, nothing in particular. Now stand at 26 percent, up from 17 percent in 2009. So collectively, I would say that the enemies of God is growing, is growing. But I think if we were more like Abraham, that wouldn't be the case. If we commanded our households, our families, and all those whose paths we crossed about God, this number would be different. So Abraham's circle of influence, we see that it's not just him. He doesn't just keep the word to himself. And I'm going to share with you, it's not just his family and household. He's truly a force multiplier. And we see in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 22. That what action Abraham takes when he hears about the hardship or what's about to go down, what the plan is that God revealed to him. Now, it's a lot of times when we're made aware of the hardship of others and as well within our power to affect that. And too often, we're not concerned enough to do anything about it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. 
It may just be me. It may not be you. Maybe that's not you. But we see and we're going to see that that's not Abraham. So in 18, Genesis chapter 18 and verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. And Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? I was just thinking that's a pretty big deal there, too, to, to step to God and have that conversation. To me, that indicates the essence of a friendship to be able to talk to God that way. Hmm. Suppose there were 50 righteous in the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. To slay the righteous with the wicked, so the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And this dialogue continues. So Abraham's not just concerned about his promises and all the blessings that are going to come his way. When he finds out what's about to happen to this city, he intercedes. He's concerned and he approaches God. I'm trying to think if, you know, when we have a dispute, you know, we can appeal to a higher court. Abraham's in the highest court of the universe, of the world. He's he's appealing to the top. And continuing on in verse 32. Then he says, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. So we see that Abraham has a genuine concern for the welfare of others. Do you? Do you? I think that's something that makes Abraham different. I'm starting to see the qualities of what makes him the friend of God. Now, I was just wondering, in a lot of relationships, it's one way. Well, somebody's in that relationship because they're just receiving. They're just in there to get what they can get. So they're in the relationship as long as it keeps coming my way. But as soon as I have to give, hey, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. So I'm just wondering, I was wondering with this relationship between God and Abraham, is it that way? Is it mutual? Is it two-way? Does Abraham give up anything? In Genesis 22 and verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moor and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. I think for. I don't know. Let me not speak for you, but for me, that would have been a deal breaker. That's that's a deal breaker right there, because you're talking about burning. You're talking about cause harm to. My son, this is the only son that I have. 
Um, and I just wonder, now that, that's a lot to me. That's asking a whole lot. But let, so let me wind it back just a little bit. How often when God asks us to do something that pales in comparison to that, let's just say to give up something that's even harmful, that's a stumbling block to us, that we're hesitant to even give up a stumbling block, something that uh, is a weight around our neck that's dragging us down. We don't even want to give that up. So I, I just want to do the comparison between Abraham and, and let me not say us, let me say me. For him to ask, I'm like, hold on, wait a minute, God. <clears throat> now, we talked about that um, intervening. This is probably where I would have been intervening. Like, hold on, can we, can I give you a turtle dove? You know, can we, you know, let's bargain a little bit. Let's go. So let's see, is that, was that Abraham's response? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. If I could just draw your attention to the early. He rose early in the morning. I'm trying to think if I even did this, I don't know if I would have got up early to do it. I probably would have been dragging my feet grudgingly, not wanting to do it at all, but. We see the quality of Abraham. He rose early. He's prompt. He's quick to do what God wants him to do. Are you quick to do what God wants you to do? Or does it take some arm twisting? See, because uh, for some of us, he has to bring some hardship our way. He has to kind of force the issue. And it shouldn't be that way. Verse four. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. This is critical. This is critical right here. That last part, you see him saying, we're going to come back to you. Now, didn't he understand that we're going to burn Isaac? And I'm going to tell them that, hey, it's going to be OK. We're going to be right back. We're just going up here to take care of this and we'll be back. To me, that is faith and that is confidence and action. And then he's communicating that faith. Uh, he's confessing that faith to those uh, other men. How often do we confess our faith that way? Even when we don't understand how God's going to do it. Verse six. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son. God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and lay him on the altar upon the wood. So not only did Abraham communicate his faith effectively to the two men, he was even affected 
at communicating it to Isaac, saying, hey, God has this under control. Don't worry about it. And I don't read here where Isaac resisted or tried to run away and he had to catch him. I, I don't read any of that. So I'm thinking he believed what Abraham told him. Say, it's going to be all right. God's going to provide. Don't worry about it. How many times does he tell us that? Don't worry about it. I got it under control. I'm still God. My hand is not short. Is it anything too hard for me? I mean, I don't even know how many times he tells us not to worry about it, but we're like, no, I'm going to go ahead and worry anyway. I'm going to try to help you out. You need help. You need help. Because it doesn't seem like things are going, going the way I want them to. Continuing on in, uh, in verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I was just thinking today with the offering, we had an opportunity to. To put something on the altar, then how many times are we holding back? Our best, our only son, what we value, what we've come accustomed to. This too good for you, God. I'm going to hang on to this. But this, you can have that right there. Are those the characteristics of a good friendship? I'm just, I'm just wondering. Is, are we starting to see why Abraham is considered the friend of God? What he's willing to do in this mutual relationship. He's willing to give it all. Everything. How long had he waited? It said he was 75 years old at one point, right? I mean, that's a long time. And he just had this one son. Hmm. I think it sets him apart. Continuing on in verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up. For a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And said by myself I have sworn says the Lord. Because you have done this thing. And have not withheld your son. Your only son. Blessing. I will bless you and multiply. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand, which is in the seashore on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, I don't know if you keep in tally, but Abraham's resume is looking pretty good. I mean. It's, it's probably it's probably difficult because the rule is just two pages. It's kind of difficult to keep it on two pages, the different qualities that we're going through here. Um, and then. It seems as though he has God as a reference, you know, on your resume, how it has, you know, uh, I'll, I'll let you know about the references. If you have God as a reference, I think you're probably good to go. What what do you think? Now, I wonder do you have to be perfect to be God's friend? 
Was Abraham perfect? Because so far, I mean, it's, it's a zero-sum game. I mean, I'm looking at the scoreboard. It's looking pretty good for Abraham. So I'm wondering, uh, maybe it's too high, too lofty. Has Abraham ever done anything wrong? Yes, he has. Abraham and his wife, they scheme to deceive the Pharaoh of Egypt. And we see that in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, I indeed know that you are a woman of beautiful continence. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys and male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abraham, pardon me, Abram. And said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So we see that Abraham was attempting to be deceptive here, but it didn't stay under the rug. That cat came came from underneath the rug. So we see that Abraham is not perfect. Not that I'm trying to throw any dirt Abraham's way. It's just to let us know that he's human. And that he's not perfect. But he's God's friend. And then also Genesis chapter 16 and verse one. We see that like Adam, Abraham listened to his wife. Maybe when he shouldn't have. Maybe when he shouldn't have. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, his maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went to Hagar. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. 
And when she saw she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Was Abraham perfect? No. And although Abraham wasn't perfect, but at the end of the day, what is he called? He's called the friend of God at the end of the day. <clears throat> now, I mentioned earlier that I wanted one of those titles, you know, not necessarily Duke or Baron or any of that, but uh, I said I wanted to be a doctor at one time. But, but since then, my desire for a title has changed. It's, it's changed to uh, what we see here in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. It may be the same for you. It says there, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I desire to hear. I don't know about you. But if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may hear something totally different. It's possible that you may hear this from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, if you fall into this category, it doesn't have to end that way for you unless you want it to. Because you're in the right place. You have an opportunity right now to repent of your sins, to confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and to be baptized and to live for him. Maybe you're in a relationship with Jesus, but you've been unfaithful in that relationship. Or maybe you need the prayers of the church. If you fall into any of those categories, please make your needs known by contacting the elders. And thank you for your time and attention this morning. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.